our heads and speak to him. Oh, precious, wonderful, lovely Lord Jesus. Lord, once again, we've stood in this place and with our lips, with our heart, with our full might, Lord, sung and testified of the greatness and the goodness of a very living God. We've testified, Lord, that you won't wear out, that you won't pass away, that you don't give up. We've testified, Lord, that your word changes us from the inside out. We've, we've testified, Lord, that, that you are our victory. You are our overcomer, Lord. You promised that you'd be with us, even in us, till the end of the world, Lord. What a mighty good God you are. How precious and lovely you are to your people. As always, Father, we stand in all at such mercy. It's such loving kindness, Lord. It's, it's such a privilege to serve you in this day. Yes, there's many foes against us. Yes, there's more demons poured out upon this age than ever before. Yes, the lid of hell has come off. Yes, hell has moved to meet you at your coming, Lord. But yet here you are still being God. It's still nothing's too big for you. Nothing's too hard for you. Nothing baffles you. You still have every single thing completely in control. You're not stressed out or worried or nervous or anxious about one thing. Lord, help us to trust you this morning. Let, as your word comes forth and it builds our faith, let it give us a confidence and a peace, Lord, and give us just a break off a little bit of your trust and, and your, your understanding this morning, Lord, that we might lean back and rest against you and, and to stand sure on your promises, Lord. For, forgive us, Father, for believing so many lies. Forgive us for believing things that are not true, Lord. And whether a doctor told us something, whether our, our, our environment told us something, if it's contrary to your word, it's a lie. No matter what we think, no matter what we say, Lord, your word is what's true. Your word lays up so many promises to a believer. It says that you've healed us by the stripes upon your back. You promise to provide everything that we have need of. You promise to be the lifter of our head, Lord. That means no discouragement or depression or any attack of the enemy has any place to stand because you said it's finished, Lord. Help us to believe that and stack all of our lives on your word, Lord. Help us this morning. Lord, keep us razor-focused on you today as we hang on every word, Lord. These aren't my words. These are your words. My words would pass away. I, I, I couldn't even come up with something good or encouraging to say to someone, Lord. But your words are the most encouraging. They lift us up out of the darkness of this world and, and the, the muck that we were in and, and set our feet back on the right path so we would walk the way we were created to walk. That's with you, Lord Jesus. Draw us nearer today. We surrender to you this morning, once again in this place, as we reconsecrate to you all that we are, Lord. Forgive us for thinking our own thoughts, forgiving us for trying to do our own will, our own purpose, Lord. Help us to remember that we've been bought by your blood, that we are a love slave to you. Help us to not get caught our attention by the things of this world, but set our sights on things above. Have your way here today, Lord. We pray that in this service, in our lives, in our hearts, in our walks with you, that you would have your preeminence amongst your people. And we love you so very much. And we thank you, Lord, just even now for your presence in this room. As you've swept in to confirm your word yet again, have your way today, Lord. We have many needs here today. Lord, we have the need of our body, yes, Lord, but our most important thing is our soul. We must each one draw nearer to thee. We must each one surrender more of us to Thee, Lord. We, and once these things are fixed, Your Word promised, Lord, there's nothing that You'd hold from us. 
not one thing in our body, Lord. You are the restorer. You're the creator. For anything we have need of, Lord, help us to, to lay all of ourselves on your altar this morning, Lord, and not pick us up back again. We want you and only you, Lord Jesus, in your precious and lovely name. Amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. God bless you this morning. While you're standing, if you'll turn to the book of Lamentations with me. Thank you for coming to the house of the Lord. Thank you for worshiping Him. He is more than worthy. More than worthy. The book of Lamentations, chapter 2, verse 3. <coughs> Lamentations, chapter 2, verse 3. God bless you this morning. It's so wonderful to see each one of you in the house of the Lord. I promise you God has very good things for you this morning. If you can just, just push all the other things out. I know Satan's going to work on you with your grocery list and your job and, and any little thing he can do to pull your attention away. But God's got good things for you this morning. If you focus in this morning, you won't leave the same way you walked in because his word is the change. He is his word. Lamentations chapter 2 verse 3 we'll read three verses he hath cut off in his fierce anger the horn of Israel he hath drawn back his right hand from before the enemy and he burned against Jacob like a flaming fire which devoureth round about he hath bent his bow like an enemy he stood with his right hand as an adversary he slew all that were pleasant in the eye in the tabernacle of the daughter of Zion to be poured out his fury like fire. The Lord was as an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all her palaces. He has destroyed his strongholds and hath increased in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. You may be deceived this morning. Seems like a bleak verse to read. <clears throat> all of God's word is true. If it makes you sad, whatever emotion that it emits or creates, all of God's word is true. And as we, as we preach this morning from an open book, that, that the prophet had told us, that, and, I, and I, want, I love to say that a lot to remind you of what he said, that once the seals come off this book, that it made it a complete new Bible. Nothing's different, nothing's changed. He just opened an understanding and made it where you'd be able to understand it. Not some great big theological uh, degree, not anything. You don't have to have anything like that. It was said about the disciples. It didn't take very long being around them. They would tell you that those guys are pretty much ignorant and unlearned. I wonder how long it took to figure that out about Peter and the other disciples, James and John and Ze you know, sons of Zebedee. How long did it take that? Nobody was talking around, so that guy's a very well-polished scholar. He's been really studying in a certain college or certain this. or you know That was said about Paul, but Paul said, I had to die out to that, that I might gain the excellency of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I had to die to that. But they did say this about the disciples. They wouldn't make it such a very plain and the most highest compliment that I could ever think you could say of someone. They could say, it's obvious they've been with the Lord Jesus. I want that always to be said of me. He might not be real smart. He might not know a lot of things. might make a lot of mistakes. But it's obvious to know he's been with the Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, this would be part four in the change of our atoms. 
and has been studying on this. And, and, and I, I share, was laying in bed last night, I was talking to Bethany, and she's falling asleep on me. But I was sharing some of the things the Lord had had on my heart. And, and so some of this she might remember, some of it she might not. But it, as a, the Lord has had this on my heart to, 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 to stay in this about the rapture, the translation. And as we, uh, it'll pause there just a moment. This rapture, we're in the rapture season. You know, everybody understands that we're on the same page. Right now, you're in the rapture season. Right now, you're in the wrapping of the consummation of all the ages. Let that sink in right now this morning. You're not just your, you got to go to job, get a job, you go to work from 7 to 3.30 or 9 to 10, whatever it might be. You're in the wrapping up of all time. Right now. Yes, there's a tribulation to come after that at three and a half years. We understand that. And then there's a, the thousand-year millennial race. We understand that. But right now, what all the prophets and sages, all your brothers and sisters from all back through this Bible the last 6,000 years have, have had their walk with the Lord, experience with the Lord, this is what they've all yearned to see. Romans would say that all of creation has been yearning and groaning for this moment. The prophet of this day said that when the bride of this day, the bride body of the Lord Jesus Christ, because he, the head, has come to his body, you're the members in particular, when you realize who you are, he said the rapture will go. When you realize who you are. I thought we were waiting on the coming of the Lord. I thought we were waiting on this. He said, no, no, no. The prophet taught, God's not waiting. we're not waiting on God, God's waiting on you. So again, you're back in the wheelbarrow. You're never going to get out from behind that. Not once. And I say it like that because I get, uh, I get lazy. I get uh, you know, uh, complacent in my walk. I get all those things in my experience. And I get busy with work. And I get busy with other things I'm doing. And, and, and some of the things I was telling Bethany, I I'm, I'm consider myself very dull. I, I, I think that I'm very slow when it comes to the Lord speaking to me. And I, I think that many times that he's probably got to tell me things over and over and over and over and over because I get wrapped up in so many things. And you know that and I say this a lot, we live in this body. This we live in this body, and, and even though it don't mean very much, it consumes the majority part of our attention and all that we are. And this body is your one of your worst enemies. This body right here, whether it's failing or whether you've been offended or you said something to offend someone else, it's just your worst enemy. So something that is so inconsequential causes you the worst trouble. Absolutely worst trouble. It consumes the most of your time. I'm not the only one. Now, it consumes the most of your time, but it doesn't really mean that much. Uh, it's, it, we shared that recently, what the prophet said back in the 60s, that it, back then, before inflation, that you would have been worth about 60 to 70 cents as far as the elements that are used to make up your body, the calcium, the potash, all those things, the potash, the other, other minerals. Once you pull them all together, it's only about 60, 70 cents worth. And, but that soul that is worth 10,000 worlds, you know, we don't give as much thought about it. We don't give as much time to it. And we just keep on, you know, thinking about work, thinking about groceries, thinking about this. And you have to have that. And that's a part of the overcoming. That's a part of the overcoming. But so in my, in my defense, all that to say of in my defense, that when it comes to things of the Lord, that, that, that he has to, I feel like he's got to tell me things over and over and over. Now in that, I want to say how thankful I am for his mercy to me. For not saying at one time and then letting me go and just cast me into hell. But he had mercy on me and said, I'll be patient. And he's always been patient. And I, I love in my walk with the Lord how I get to see how kind he is. Because I ain't nobody. I'm not anything. You know that about me. I don't, I don't think anything of myself. I'm just, I'm just a sinner bought by blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all I am. And I do believe I was predestinated before the foundation of the world to be a part of his right. I believe that. But that ain't nothing I did. That's all his mercy. 
So when it comes to what God has mercy for me and let me see different things about himself, it, it, it always blows me away because, again, we all live in this body. And this body, uh, you, get to, uh, you get so wrapped up with things. And you have, I said that earlier, I think Wednesday night, how that you, you with, your hardest thing you can do, with, even sometimes you get into struggles with people you love. People you love the most, you'll have the most arguments with, you'll have the most this, and all those things. And you think, you know, this person is not my enemy. But I have the worst conflict with something that just gets in the way. And, and that's just, again, that's the part of the overcoming. Now, God knows all of these things. God knows all these things. Uh, and I think Brother Andrew said that last weekend about how that, you know, there's not one thing that he did not suffer for us. So when you think about your times of distraction, you think about your times where you got stuck on something you shouldn't have been stuck on. He had to go through that. That. He had, overcome. he had to sacrifice his will. He absolutely had to sacrifice his will. And the message of Christ, the mystery God revealed, Brother Brown makes a statement about Paul. And as you look at the, as those sermons were coming out from the seals all the way up to July 28th, you look at the titles of, 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 of is your life worthy of the gospel? Paul a prisoner. And, and in that message, Paul a prisoner, he, he talked about being a love slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we don't do these things that God requires to walk a Christian life. We don't do these statutes and these commandments because he'll throw us in hell. We don't do these things just because his word says that we do it because we love him. You understand that it's different. It becomes from being a law to a love and it changes how well I guess when I get up in the morning, I got to do this and I got to do this. It's not that you get up and you love to do it because you love him. And that's what his word says. It's a different from law to love. You understand that change. Everybody understand that? I know I'm going a long way around my throne to get to this, but in that part that has to be changed, your soul, your body, your, your body, your soul, your spirit, your body will be translated. Your body will be raptured. Your body is being quickened at this moment. Your body is being raptured right now as you're hearing the word of the Lord. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing of the word of the Lord. Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is a substance. It is actually a substance. That faith does not originate on this dimension. It comes from the seventh dimension, comes into this dimension, and changes you so you'll be like that seventh dimension. But you've got to believe it. Faith, you have to believe. You have to believe the word of the Lord. You have to believe what the word of the Lord says about you. You have to believe the word of the Lord says that you are his. That's something each one of us has had to come to. Well, I know God's a Savior. I know He's a Redeemer. I know He's a healer. I know He saved you. I know He saved you. But did He save me? Does He love me? Did He predestinate me? Did He call me? Come on now. This is each one of us. It says, I'm not saying something about the church down the street or, or some other state. I'm talking about you right now. This is each one of us coming to. I, I know these things are true about me because I have a revelation that that's what He says about me. Come on now. If you don't have that revelation, just be honest and say, Lord, I don't really know that I know that I know because I pray promise you he'll reveal himself to you if you get your head to unstuck out of the things of this world and get it into him he'll speak to you i can testify that that he'll speak to you and once you start getting this great i'm certain of this i'm certain i'm one of his i'm certain that i'm a virtuous blood-bought bride of the lord jesus christ check i'm sure of that i've got that peace and that rest and and all those things and and once these revelations start to line up and you start to come out of your amnesia of who you thought you were to who you really are and you come back and says that his promise to me specifically was only yes and amen it was only yes and amen well, I've got these things in my body. I've got these things here. Once your soul and your spirit is right, the body will line up. 
Once your soul and your spirit is right with the Lord, your experience is right with the Lord, your body will line up because it has to obey the confession of faith that comes out of that soul. You don't get a confession of faith out of your mind, out of your reasoning. That's not where it comes from. It comes that way down deep compartment where you're supposed to let him live. You're supposed to let him reign. You're supposed to let him rule from that part in you. Then everything else comes into order. In order. Do you believe that the solar system is in its order? That if the sun was a, a few feet closer to earth, you'd burn up? That if you were, if, if somebody had mistakenly got the, 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 the moon and the planet, the earth too close, when they swung around, they crashed into these things. These things don't happen. God's got it in order. You think about how that perversion comes through what Satan tries to do to your body. Your body is meant to be whole. Your body is meant to be well. It's meant to be that way, not by your desire, not by your design, but by his design. The one that keeps that sun spinning, that keeps that moon spinning, all of those things, that's his design. So when you get yourself right with the Lord, everything else will fall into place. It has to. Absolutely has to. You believe that this morning? So, again, your body will be raptured. It's in a rapture season right now. Your body is. You're literally changing on the inside as you receive the word. The prophet would say it like this. He said that you become the word. You become the word as you let that word move through you. You become the word. So if we were to take right now and insert and read to you John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word was God. The word became flesh and I'm just jumping through. Became flesh and dwelt among us. That's your husband. That's your Lord. That's the one that you're supposed to be consummating your marriage with. Not going to a marriage. He marries you here. Each one of you, yes, he has a body-membered bride, but each one of us marry him at different times. You married him a different day. You married him a different day. You married him a different day, but you're still married to him. This only works if he's present. I don't know how your, your wedding worked when you married your husband, if he was there or not. I don't know how well that worked out for you. I don't know how well it worked out to be consummating the marriage with him not being there. I don't know how well that worked out for you. Do you understand what I'm telling you? I'm not trying to be silly. I'm not trying to be, you understand? You think about that, what that means. So if he's in you, if, he is, if he's taking his abode in your heart, if he's taking his abode, in, and we share this a lot about it, it is very similar to a marriage covenant. And, and, that, and, and so again, I haven't told you about our subtitle. And the subtitle is a rainbow covenant. Changed in our atoms, a rainbow covenant. A rainbow covenant. And, and the Lord allows, we'll get real deep in this real fast. And you'll see his promise to you right now, this morning, whatever date it is, today's the 22nd, 2023, January 22nd, 2023, about seven minutes till 11 on a Sunday morning that before he showed Noah that bow in the heaven, that rainbow, before he gave him that token, he'd already made a way, a way for you that you'd take a rafter. Amen. Before then, and I'll prove it to you by the scripture. I'll prove it to you by the scripture if you'll believe it. You don't have to believe that's your name. You don't have to believe that's your promise. You don't have to believe that's for you, but it's there. And like I said that earlier, that the prophet taught us when the seals come off this book, it, it, it shows you that you can see the Lord Jesus Christ on every page. Every single page. And again, every scripture that speaks of the groom speaks of his wife. I read to you in Lamentations chapter 2. Now let's jump back to the book of Genesis chapter 6. 
book of Genesis chapter 6 verse 13. There are, <coughs> excuse me, coming up onto the, the, the first washing of the water. At that time, you know, the prophet taught us that, that, that antediluvian world, they weren't cavemen, they weren't living in tents, they weren't living in caves, they weren't walking around with, you know, bare skin, you know what I'm saying? They were very, very smart people. They were very, very wise people. They had 2,000 years. You look at, uh, you look at uh, what we've made in scientific achievement, and let's just say roughly the last 80 years. You can back up and pick up radios. You can pick up TV crystals and all those things that started being able to be able to pull out of that ether, being able to pull out those radio waves, those TV waves, and they started to have a way to access such a thing, however far back that goes when each one was. Let's just start there. We're not going to jump all the way back to uh, your, your discovery of the DNA of of your different atoms and different molecules. Let's not go that, but let's just pick this and say 150 years. Let's just say that 150 years, how much science has jumped in 150 years. And then if you were to back up from that 150 years, back up all the way to the cross, it was all very, very plain, very, very simple, not very much innovation in the uh, intellectual world. Not very much into, you understand, innovation. As far as, you know, they didn't have cell phones back then at Jesus' time. Nobody was taking snapshots. Nobody had him on their Instagram. Nobody had them on the social media. You understand, they didn't have these things. So just in the last 150 years. So if they had 2,000 years before the flood, before the annual living destruction, that much time, and, and they were allowed to run rampant. They were allowed all these things. And, and you know, that Cain actually, he, he was a fruit of coming off that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He was not a fruit of coming off the tree of life. So that's where it come up to. You have Cain that was the, the first one that created, you know, as far as in tapping into science and builders of cities and all these things. And you see where that comes from. And then you get that person that has that kind of a thought dropped in their, eye, their mind. Just a thought. You, you with me? Just a thought. Uh, you back up 50 years and find Steve Jobs as a young boy, and somebody dropped that thought into his mind and starts coming up with your phones and your Apple and all things like that. Somebody put that thought in his mind. He wasn't in his DNA. It wasn't, oh, okay, when this guy comes down, this guy's DNA, he'll be able to unlock a certain building cell, and, and then poof, this guy will be able to come up with this Apple, the iPods, the I, all these things like that. No, no, something dropped that inspired that to him. So if Cain was the son of the serpent, and Cain, then they had 2,000 years, and the only proof that we have of it as far as visible proof today is the pyramid that Enoch built. That's the only thing left. Uh, that tells me that God's very thorough with his destruction. See, we're only talking about water. We're only talking about water. See, the, the earth has to go through its water, blood, and fire, just like you have to. Water, baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Ghost and fire, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. So it has to go through those same things as well. So in that first destruction, the only thing that survived for 45 centuries, let that sink in. The only thing on this planet that has survived, that's been built by man's hands, I'm not saying it was designed by man, I'm saying built by man's hand, that has survived for 45 centuries. Now, if your mind ain't catching what I'm saying, 40, that's a long, long time. So, nothing else has survived that long. Everybody, we, we, we could check that off as far as what we're agreeing to this morning. So, in that, in that that God had designed through uh, Enoch and allowed to be built and let to be set there as a testimony, as a moral memorial, and we went through that and we had some pictures of it and, and different, uh, different statistics of it and, and it being a sign of the second Bible, what God had in stone and being a perfect 
revelation for them in that time allowable. We're, that's not our Bible. This is our Bible here, which this Bible here is not meant to be your Bible. It's meant to be the person, the word living inside of you. You understand? This is your visual application. This is something you can touch. But just reading the words on this page will not help you. Just re- you have to have him quicken these words to you. Otherwise, you're just reading the newspaper. He's got to quicken it. Otherwise, it's not going to come alive. And, and then when you get into the quickening part of it, and that quickening, being made alive, that he's a, he's a fire, he's a quickening spirit, he's a revelator, he's a restorer, he's a redeemer, and what he's bringing his seed to life so that he might have preeminence in your flesh. So as you come back to here, and the world has not followed God's word, they've went after their own thoughts. The sons of God looked upon the daughters of man and found that they were fair. Sons of God, in reference here, are not fallen angels. That's taught in churches across this planet. The sons of God right here are not fallen angels that have inhabited the bodies of, because they're not, Satan's not a creator. Nephilim did not, you know, come down and actually have some kind of relationship with the daughters of man. And because they're not creators, they're only in a spirit form. They cannot create a body. You understand? We got that checked off. So the sons of God looked upon the daughters of man and found them to be fair. You find a very similar type to this in the Exodus as they come out. They were not told, they were told to not partake of anything in that land of the Canaanites. You don't do any of those things. Any of those things, then you find them later on, they're marrying, they're you're banqueting to get all those things, and God never forgave them for it. You understand? That, that shows you a very clear understanding of what happened before, because man is still man, Satan is still Satan, God is still God. So as you find that what the sons of God looked upon, the daughters of man and found to be fair, those daughters of man were, son, don, were daughters of Cain. Cain would have to have a sexual affair or married his sister. There's no other way around it. The Bible doesn't keep track of, of the daughters of Adam and, Seth, Adam and Eve. They don't keep track of that. It only kept track of, of Abel and Cain. Then Cain killed Abel, and then you had Seth. Then it just says afterwards they had many children together. Everybody still with me? Sons and daughters. If they didn't have daughters, there were just daughters on the earth. I thought there were only two people on the planet at the time. Where the girls come from. See, you've got to gotta keep all these things in perspective. So as you're catching all that, so you understand that even through that alone, it come to a place where they refuse to follow the word of God. They refuse to accept the word of God for not just their life, but even in their flesh. See, there's a difference with telling, um, you know, so you got, say there's two parts about yourself. You say you've got your life and you've got your flesh. Well, I'll tell you, if I was to stand here today and tell you to point at the Ten Commandments, point at every statute and commandment of God and say that you must do this, you must do this, you must do this, and then I have no part in it, that makes me a hypocrite. It must come to work in my flesh as well. I must be able to live that I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't cheat on my wife, I don't steal, I don't murder. I must be able to have fruit of that in my life. You understand, it's not just, it's not just good enough that I preach to you, don't, 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 don't. You follow me? If you found out that I've been running around with women, you ain't going to be here very long, I hope. I hope that you, you know what, won't be back. If you find out that I've been robbing someone, you, you understand? Come on, don't you? I know you're quiet this morning, but I hope you, that you'll keep up with God's word. And God's word said that ain't right. Something's got to be made right. Something's got to change. You cannot accept that. Too many people let things. Just go as it was and never check it. Never light it back up with the word. And then things get only worse and worse and worse because you've missed the mark and the fruit proves it. So in their, war, in, their, in their life and in their flesh, they were not lining up to the word of God. There was only a small handful, few that were left that would walk with God. And now here we are in chapter 6. Noah was one of them. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord in a very bad time. 
Very, very bad time. Now, you understand, for God to do this, you would admit this is a, this is a pretty good destruction. Only eight souls were saved. Only eight humans were saved in that destruction. You, you believe that. Everybody understands. Okay, only eight. And you understand that this is a destruction. And you just agreed with me that man's still the same, that Satan's still the same, that God's still the same. You just agreed that with me. So let's jump over to Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot has got his tent pitched toward the gates of Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible says that it vexed his righteous soul daily. It vexed his righteous soul daily, but he wouldn't do nothing about it. He just stayed there. He just stayed there. He just stayed there. So up on the hill, Abraham has met someone that he calls Elohim. This Elohim had three men walk up out of the desert. God created, took some sand, took some, and just created a body just like he did yours. He had stepped into one, and these two other angels stepped into another. They go down. They're talking to Abraham. He's revealing the secrets to Abraham and Sarah's heart as Sarah even laughs in her heart, sitting in the tent behind Abraham, behind Elohim, and he tells her in the tent behind what she's laughing about all this is going on and those two angels go down to Sodom and Gomorrah to get Lot because Abraham bargained or petitioned let's say it like this put his token over Lot his token keep with me now he put his token and was able to save Lot they go down there to get Lot in a place that's so bad that God's ready to destroy it he said it's so bad the angels go into the house and while Lot is trying to convince his son-in-laws that had married his daughters to leave with them that the people of Sodom and Gomorrah come to the door are going to kick the door down so that they may have sexual affairs with the angels that were inside they were so eat up, so perverted, the natural use of a man and a woman to be all perverted as can be to where they weren't even just happy with that. Now they wanted to do it to some angels that come down. That's a destruction. You understand? So I would imagine it was probably just as bad when it was destroyed by water. Man is still man. Satan is still Satan. You believe that before the flood, Satan's plan was still, even then, to steal, kill, and destroy? That he didn't, you know, God erased the earth and water and go, he's like, you know what, I better wrap this up a little bit. No, it's always been his plot. He was a liar from the beginning. He's a liar at the end. Same one, your same enemy. So now God comes to Noah and he says this in verse chapter 6, verse 13. <clears throat> God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. The end of all flesh. I don't know what I'd have done if I heard God say that to me. The end of all flesh has come before me. It's done. I'm done. The end of all flesh has come before me. Where was he at? Verse 13. The end of all flesh. God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Through them. It wasn't just being done to them by the demons, by the fallen angels. They were partakers of it. Come out from among them and be not partakers of their sin. As it was then, as it was in the days of Noah, Luke 17, 30, so shall it be when the Son of Man is revealed. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the day when the Son of Man is revealed. The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now, 
The Bible, as we quoted to you earlier there out of the book of Romans, it says the entire creation is groaning for the adoption, the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. All of creation, you're standing on creation. This earth is part of his creation. That even the earth is groaning for your manifestation. Your earth, the earth, the yes, the planet is groaning for this. This is scripture. So you can agree with that. If you, I, I can turn you the page. You can read it and you'll believe me. So that, that, it, it, that, that, that man had done this thing on earth to where that God now was going to destroy the man and wash the earth off. He said, going to destroy them with the earth. You read that yourself. Chapter 6, verse 13. I destroyed them with the earth. So verse 14. God has a way provided. God always, always, always has a Now, as I read this to you, and you see in the next couple of verses how God has him designed this way provided, you can look at your walk with the Lord. You can look in spots you've struggled with. You can look at parts that you didn't do everything he said, and you can look in your life as the result of it. What if he didn't pitch it within and without? Chapter 6, verse 14, make thee an ark of gopher wood. The gopher wood is a very sponge-like wood. It's not your strongest wood. Nobody's going to pick this to build their, their baby's cradle. You never heard of somebody, hey, let's get some good old gopher wood and make a baby's cradle. That way we, you know, when the bow breaks, the baby will... Nobody picks that. It, like God said, my ways are higher than their ways. My thoughts are not their thoughts. Keep with me now. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark or compartments or nests. Compartments. Let's take that word compartment. He said make compartments in that ark. Make compartments. Rooms in that ark. And shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. See, this pitch in your life would be a type of the Holy Ghost. Pitch within and without. Within and without. You cannot just have the Holy Ghost on your flesh. You must have the Holy Ghost on your flesh. Judas would have only, would have only had it on his flesh. He would have only had that anointing. would have only had that blessing on his flesh. You cannot let it stop there. You have to let him go down deep. And you literally can stop him. You can stop him from coming into your heart. You understand that this morning? That you can stop him? Lord, that's as far as you'll come. I won't give you no more. He told Cain, if you'll just do as your brother did, I'll accept you too. And Cain said no. Cain said no. This is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark. A window shalt thou make to the ark. And... Um, exactly what scripture it is jesus speaking about the light of the body is the eye and that the body that's full of darkness how great is that darkness but the light the body that's full of light how great is that light jesus would also say that no one takes a bushel takes a candle hide it under a bushel he said no one does that no one he said that no one takes a city and just hides it away it's meant to be set up on a hill to be a testimony and a witness to the glory of god your life your walk, your experience is meant to be a testimony to the glory and the mercy of God. Your life is. You're not meant to be hidden in the basement. You're not meant to be hiding it away. This is why you share your testimony. This is how you overcome and others overcome and say, wow, God did that for them. I think he'll do it for me. Amen. Same one. Same one. 
So in, in this, this window that was made, this window that was allowed to only see one thing, it was not allowed to see the things that were going on around them. It wasn't designed to be right at about head level so they could walk up and, and see all their friends dying and see all the things where they were not allowed to see that. They were only allowed to look up. Only allowed to look up. They weren't designed to look at the world and the things going around them. They were only allowed to look at the promise. They were not allowed to look at the death and all the carnage. They were only allowed to look at the promise of God. That is the way you're meant to be. You're not to keep your eyes on the things of this world. That unseen, that revelation that comes helps you to look above the things that are happening around you to where you can look upward and above them and see the promise that God has for you. No matter what the situation that you're in. No matter what the situation, I don't care if you're walking into a furnace of fire this morning, no matter what situation you're in, you're designed to only look up. You're designed to only speak up, not speak down. Remember, even your thoughts speak louder in heaven than your words do on earth. This window, we was, um, and again, back to me being dull and slow, I've got a little place that I burn stuff there on my property. And it's, it's just back to the north enough behind my, to the edge of the shop that I do have a light on the front of my shop and it lights up the things in the front. But if there's, if there's no fire burning back there, it's completely black. And as we burn things over the last so many years, there's times you go out in the middle of the night and, and the winds come up and you think it's almost down and then it'll be back to blazing. Or there was one time we had a fire here a while back that, that it was in a pouring rain. I was pouring gas and diesel and everything, trying to get it burned just because I knew it would be safe if it was burning, not worry about paper catching things on fire around us. So I was trying and trying and trying. I couldn't ever really get it started. Went in about 10, 30, 11 o'clock, laid down, got up about midnight or so and looked out there and it's pouring rain so hard but the fire is burning so big and so hot it's going up about 25 or 30 feet and it's hanging a 90 straight to my neighbor's yard just i mean probably going that way 30 feet going straight up and going straight over i I should have took a picture of it you'll never believe me it's going straight up in the pouring rain I, i thought the fire was out i thought it was burned out i thought it was done it was raining it should have put that fire out but it didn't it didn't. So as I'm leaving the shop last night, I've been burning stuff during the day yesterday. It was raining, yes, so I'm not worried about things catching on fire. And many times I looked out during the day, even the evening, during supper or after supper, and it was still kind of, kind of burning. And like I said, it's back far enough that even the slightest little spark, the slightest little spark, you would see it in that darkness because it's very dark back there. And I've seen that. Sometimes you walk by, you're like, well, there's a little spot right there, a little bit of coal still there. And you can literally see it because it's dark enough. It's dark enough to see the smallest little ember, the smallest little coal. So as I'm walking out of the shop last night, going in for the night, getting ready to go study, I'm coming out, and I just happen to glance over at the fire, because as I'm going to the house here, it's about right over there. As I'm walking over, I glance over, like it's out. And as I walk a little further, I looked again. I looked three or four times, and finally I'm like, what is my doing? And I'm looking, and there's nothing there. No spark, no coal, no ember, nothing there. And I'm thinking as I'm walking, I can see because it's so dark that there's not one spark in that fire, not one coal or anything that's visible to the naked eye. And you see it because it's so black. You can see because it's so black that there's no spark there. Now, I've shared that with you because there have been many times in my life that I've not understood demonic warfare the way I should have. 
And I've, I've shared a lot of things with us, what God has revealed to us, so that we would know how to fight, so that we would know how to defend ourselves and defend our family. And I've, I've said that before. I don't understand exactly what Satan sees in that other realm. Because Satan can read your mind. Satan doesn't know your predestination. He doesn't know. He wasn't allowed to see on the back part of the book. He doesn't know these things. So I've wondered what it is that he can look at you and see there's something different about you when anybody else can get away with anything. They can do what they want. They can say what they want. There's no repercussions. There's not one thing. Yet you can't even tell a little white lie without God bringing the world down on you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That the bride can't get away with nothing. Nothing. Well, I, I, I misinformed someone. You better repent of it. I miss, I miss you to repent of it because God's going to require that of you. You won't take a rapture with that, much less a white lie, much less anything like that. You got to make all things right. So I've wondered, what does he see? On that side, he gets a glimpse of your light. So when it comes up a little spark, he sends everybody he's got to try to knock it out. When you start getting a little blessing from the Lord and that flame starts to flicker a little bit, here comes more demons trying to stomp it out. You get to burning and burning, and after a while, he just walks away. That ain't nothing I can do. It's still got to let it go. He's going to let it burn now because I can't touch it. But you see where you're supposed to be? You're not supposed to be a little speck. You're not supposed to be a little flame the size of a man's hand. You're supposed to be a pillar of fire burning where Satan can't do nothing with you. That's what we're supposed to be. That's our end goal. I, I kind of feel like that's what you'll look like to the enemy right before you leave here. Now, I say all that because we're going to spend some time in the pillar of fire this morning. That's a picture of the pillar of fire right there. You'll notice that picture is an amber color. Now, this week, what is it, the 25th? 25th or the 26th of 1950, the meetings in 1950, if you look at Lifeline, are going on this last two weeks in 1950. Not this week, but you understand. What's that, 73 years ago? That uh, on the 25th or 26th, so this next week will be the anniversary of that picture 73 years ago being taken. Now, you understand the ministry that God did here? That being that, that, that man right there is the prophet that's prophesied in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. That man is the man that's prophesied in Revelations 10 7. That's the seventh angel. That right there is the seventh angel, the one on the left. If you're paying attention, the one on the left. The one on the right. The one on the right, the top right-hand corner, that's the angel of the covenant. That's Revelations 10.1. That's the person of the Holy Ghost. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the one that led the children of Israel through the wilderness, that led them through the Red Sea. That's the same one. This picture is authenticated by a man that worked for the FBI. It is the only picture in existence that's deemed supernatural in existence. I don't know about any other denominations, but they can't boast such a thing. I'm not a denomination. I'm not boasting. But I know a lot of people have a problem with that picture. That's okay. Once you meet the person on the right-hand side of that picture, you won't have a problem with that picture no more. Amen. There'll be no more problem. It'll all be cleared up. And I've shared some testimonies about that with it. So that pillar of fire, that being a certain color, a certain amber, a certain color, keep that in mind as we, when we come through this arc right here. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower second and third stories shalt thou make it. With lower and second stories. So this ark here is being built roughly, I don't know, 100, 200 years after the uh, the that Enoch built in Giza, roughly, in that area. I'm not sure exactly at the same time. I, I know the date, but I don't remember exactly what day this was. So 
Exactly. So the, the, the door to the pyramid, which we've read those scriptures to you about the, the altar and the, the edge of uh, Egypt. We've read all those scriptures to you, what God did there. Now, the, the door, archaeologists, when they went to discover the one that Enoch built there in the plains of Giza, that the, the door, they never did find the door when they went to breach, when they went to break in the pyramid. They actually had to take dynamite and blast their way through one side. And once they got inside, they were able to come back through a cavern and say, oh, there's the door. From the outside, you can't see the door. You can't just walk up to it and say, oh, there's the door, go through it. No, there is a way, and many there be that won't find it. There is a way. And it fits so perfectly, so tight, so perfect, that it is blended in that the average person will never see it. You had to know that it was there. And I can use that word as knowing and knowing that it was there. It was so perfect. So perfect. So he said that a window shalt thou make of the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee... With thee will I establish my covenant, my covenant, my token, my covenant, and thou shalt come into this ark, the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee, and of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring of the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female. Now jump over to chapter 9 with me. Genesis chapter 9. Verse 8. So, it all happened. They were all destroyed. God keeps his word. Good or bad, God keeps his word. Whatever you do, if you say it's good, whether it's bad, good or bad, God keeps his word. So if God says he'll repay, God will repay. And that cup, that iniquity, that transgression, that, that, that wrath... That, that fierceness and the wine press of his wrath, God will bring it to pass. And the bride knows this. And the bride, because he would that none would be lost, she would that none would be lost. She has the same, uh, the same heart as her husband, but she also knows that you don't spurn that mercy forever. You don't spit in his face countless times. You don't say his word is not true. You don't try to change it for your own purpose and think that he'll be okay with that. You don't do it. It must be the full, unadulterated word of God. Chapter 9, verse 8. <clears throat> Chapter 9, verse 8. God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, That's how survived it. That's all you talk to the daughter, the wife, and they're going to survive it. Now, here you are, the proof of it. You know, when the prophet would, is in a deep call to deep, the prophet is talking about that. He said, When you know, the arms are stacked, the Bible's closed, and we all come up to your house, he said, We sit down at that table that stretches a mile, thousand miles wide, and you walk down that table and, and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joys of the Lord. You realize right then, you realize, I, I did make it. I, he kept his promise. And it's not just going to be just one time, Wow, that was great. No, you're going to be enjoying this for the ceaseless ages to come. So God speaking to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, and I, comma, you read it there, and I, comma, behold, comma, I establish my covenant with you 
and with your seed after you. This sounds familiar, don't it? My covenant with you and with your seed after you and with every living creature that is with you of the fowl of the cattle, of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth, I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there be any more... Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. Excuse me. And God said, verse 12, this is the token, the token, this is the token of the covenant. This is the token or the sign or the appearing. This is what you would know. This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you. Between me and and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a token for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. He said, I make my token between me and you and every living creature and I set my bow in the cloud and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. He knows he doesn't say in the clouds. He said in the cloud. I set my token in the cloud. God uses clouds. I can get over the book of Exodus and, and run through that with you and, and show how God uses clouds. <clears throat> this token, this bow set in the cloud. It shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass that when, when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud or the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. Now, this happened 4,000 years ago. 4,000 years ago. Every human that was on the earth when these words were spoken, they've been dust and less than dust for a long, long time. But yet you still walk out after a rain and you see that token, that promise there. This token was not just unto Noah. This was token was not just unto his sons. This token was not just unto his daughters-in-law. This token was not just unto his wife. As Joel would say it, or as Peter would quote him, this promise is unto you and to your children and to your children's children and as many as far off as the Lord our God shall call. Guess what this morning? You've been called by the Lord Jesus. Amen. You're a fulfillment of that promise. All these years later, God still keeps his word. God still keeps his word. All these years later, jump over to chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, verse 18. You know where I'm going. Genesis chapter 15, verse 18. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt. Under the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephams, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. Now, if I was to guess, just me roughly guessing, I would say that's probably all about the folks on the planet of the earth at that time. That'd be safe. I might be reaching, but that might be safe. He said, I give it to you. Not to them. They're squatting on it. I give it to you. Turn to chapter 17. Chapter 17, verse 6. And I will make thee exceedingly, exceeding fruitful. I, there's that I again. I, the only one that can bring it about. The only one that can make it happen. The only one that can guarantee this will come to pass. Said, I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and the generations for an everlasting covenant. 
for an everlasting covenant. So we've talked a lot about in times past how the Bible will use the word everlasting when it actually meant eternal as far as translation. And some do mean everlasting. If you go back to the Greek, that at one way it should have been translated the other. Everlasting has a beginning. Everlasting has an end. It means that it will last Forever, but not for eternity. There's a difference. Hell is called everlasting. Hell is said, says Satan and his demons will burn forever and forever. Now, you cannot burn in an eternal hell without having eternal life. It's that simple. Well, I had a guy, it was a, a brother was telling me one time, I, was, I opened my mouth and stepped in both foot as deep as I could go, and, and I did not know that he believed in eternal hell, and was telling him that I, I've heard just recently, I just recently heard that people believed in eternal hell. I never knew that. I never know people believe that. And I was telling him that, was talking about it, and he said, I, I kind of think we believe in eternal hell. And I'm like, oh, man, this has got real awkward. I didn't know that. But in reality, you've got to have eternal life to get an eternal hell an eternal hell to burn an eternal hell and he's very particular about who he gives eternal life to because there's only one form of eternal life only one form satan does not possess his form satan and his demons do not possess his form satan can never ever 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 give you i don't care how good of a liar con man car salesman whatever he might be he can never give you zoe life of god because eternal life there's only one that is eternal there's only one zoe life, and that's the lord jesus christ Again, I quoted John 1, in the beginning was the Word. You know what was before the beginning? Nothing, because it was the beginning, and He was there. And when there's nothing left, He's there, and you're in Him. You were there with Him then, you're there with Him then. I'm pointing eons, eons, eons from that way to eon that way. Time is just a little hiccup. It's nothing to God when time means nothing. Can you imagine coming up with the construct of time? And maybe, maybe it was done before the angels, maybe it was done after the angels, I don't know what it was, but, but because, you know, the Bible doesn't give that. But can you imagine trying to explain that to someone? Because we've only ever known time. He's like, okay, here's what's going to happen. And they're like, I don't understand. Why would you do that? That doesn't seem, well, it's a purpose to it. it it'll work out. And as they get older, it'll seem like time speeds up. The older you get, it speeds up. And speeds up and speeds up. The earth must be flying around the sun. I mean, just be, just getting it day by day. The older I get, you wake up, wake up in the morning at 6 a.m. and you blink, it's already midnight. What happened? So it's just the way it is. But when you're young, I did spill, I apologize. When you're young and you feel like that you'll never make it to 15, you'll never make it to 16, you'll never make it to 18, you'll never make it to 20, and you're wishing your life away and all those things, and finally, when you finally get going, it just speeds up so fast. I just realized last night that in less than uh, seven years and seven months, I'll be 50. And that was heavier than I thought it would be. I do feel like I haven't done hardly anything for the Lord. I've had a career. I've owned a business. I've got six kids. I've been married to a beautiful woman for over 20 plus years, but I don't feel like I've done anything for the Lord. And, and I, I, the reason what made me think about that, I was reading back through the Beyond the Curtain of Time this morning. And that, that Brother Ram was allowed to see. And, and I got to thinking about myself. And I'm coming upon 50. And, and I had the same, the same feeling. Lord, have mercy. Establishing his covenant. I'll establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. The land where thou... Okay, and I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. His children, their property, their promise, their God. God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. So let me get this straight. 
All we've got to do is keep your covenant. That's all you're saying. That's all we got to do is keep. Your, that's all we got to do, and we get all that. That's all we got to do. See, you know, a lot of us, as we have jobs, I don't have this kind of job, but as you have jobs, you go to look for benefits, and you look for what kind of uh, PTO, what kind of time off, what kind of uh, sick days, what kind of vacation days, what kind of retirement plan. You look, okay, I can work for that. I can do that. I can do that. And how long do I got to work here until I get insurance? How long do I get to work here to get this? And you think, I can do that. I can do that job. And it might not even be something you like. It might not be your dream job. But you're thinking to get those, I can do that. I might not just in my flesh love it. It might not be what I love, but I can do that. And that's something that means nothing. And here you have, he said, all you got to do is keep my commandments. And you would have thought, that's all. That's it. That's all you require. Oh, that would be easy. It wasn't so easy, though, was it? You have an enemy. You have an enemy. Thy seed after thee in their generation. This is my commandment which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. Every man child among you. Now, let's jump over to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. Now, we were here recently working in chapter 3 and verse in chapter 4. Stepping back just a little bit before that, Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. It came to pass in process of time, and we just quoted to you the promise he made Abraham. This was 440 years before that, that he made that promise to Abraham. And now here you have him showing up to bring it to pass. God, time doesn't mean anything to God. That's why you're told to be patient. That's why patience is a virtue. As you get, Satan will get you all twisted up. Well, it ain't happened yet. It ain't happened yet. It ain't happened yet. Did he say it was going to happen? Well, yeah. So guess what? It's going to happen. My goodness. It came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. And they cried and their cry came up unto the local magistrate, the local mayor, the local governor, uh, the human resources, um, whoever, uh, what, what's the people that do uh, war crimes, uh, Geneva Convention, all those, come up to them. No, it didn't come to them. It came up before God. They can't do nothing about it. He can. They cried. They asked. It came up before God. And here's what he did. Came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Abraham Isaac and Jacob. It wasn't just to Abraham. It was to his seed after him. And he proved it with Isaac. It wasn't just to Isaac. It was to his seed after him. And he proved it with Jacob. It wasn't just to Jacob. It was into his seed after him. He proved it with all the 12 tribes. All the 12 sons. And there's a lot there. Though we're trying to get into a whole lot there in those 12. If, if you'll be patient. God heard their groanings. God remem remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel. And God had respect unto them. God had respect unto them. They didn't even have the Holy Ghost. Wasn't even given yet. But God had respect because of His promise, because of His word, because of the token that He had given them. And you. You with me? To, to them and you, you've got the same promise. God had respect unto them. God had respect. What a beautiful thing. Turn over to chapter 19 now with me. Chapter 19, verse 1. I wish there was a way to... 
to keep a lot of these points that we're pulling out of each scripture, just kind of had them set up so you can see as we jump from one to one to one and, and don't get lost in my, um, in my ramblings and things like, okay, I see that, I see that, I see that, and then all this comes together. And I pray that God will bring that back to your memory as we get to that. Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness and their Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God and the Lord called unto him. The Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. He said, I did this. This is a type of Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, you don't get to that door in heaven through a car. You don't get to a bicycle. Someone has to pick you up to a higher plane. Everybody understand? You're not in an Ephesian church age. You're not in the Smyrnian, the, the Pergamos, not the latest. You know, you're above the latest in church age. You're in the bride age. You're pulled up in that. He said, you've seen what I did on the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagle's wings and brought you unto myself. Now, I pause right there to remind you of a scripture I read just a, a couple weeks ago where it said, in the land of Judah to the Egyptians will be a terror. The land of Judah to the Egyptians will be a terror, absolute terror. Now, that Judah, that son of Isaac, son of Jacob, that was that descendant, a son of grandson of Abraham, Judah was very particular what God used him for. He made his mistakes. He was a man like everybody else. He had things to repent for. But God was very particular about that man, about that name. Now, just to kind of throw this in, the name Judah... That each child, when they were born, the prophet said that the way the Hebrews would do that, that they would, uh, they would um, for example, Ephraim. Ephraim means by the sea. The name means beaten by the sea. So he would either been, you know, birthed by the sea or grew up, whatever it was. That's where that name come from. And you know what the word Judah means in Hebrew. The name Judah in Hebrew means praise. Doesn't mean by the sea. It means praise. It means Praise. Keep all that in mind. You've seen what I did on the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and I brought you unto myself. Now, I've shared a lot with you how that growing up that I always thought with the message and things and my own perception that when the bride is time for the rapture that she'll be hiding in the woods, hiding somewhere or you'll be carted off to some concentration camps or, or something like that because there's a lot of them in America. There used to be just some that JFK built in Alaska somewhere. Those were the Dunsburn, the 60, and apparently everybody knows about them. But there are a lot more that are in America too now as well, in the mainland of America. That is not the case for the bride. I no longer believe that. I look at the scripture, I read things like this right here, and I see that God is still my same God as he was then. And he just told them, you saw what I did to the Egyptians. You saw what I did. You think he's going to be any less protective of you? Do you think he's going to let you be chased down and shot on the spot for the word of Christ? We're not in the ox age. We're not in the man age. You're in the eagle age. All those things had their type. He said, you saw what I did unto the Egyptians and how I, then your Bible, that's italicized. It's meant to emphasize how I bear you. It doesn't say on the back of a lion. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Lamb, he's your sacrifice. No, he's telling you something. I picked you up. I took you. I said about Enoch, he was not found because God took him. 
uh, I was listening to a sermon Brother Wayne was preaching here recently, and he said one of those translations breaks down to almost says kidnapped. That's a far reach of the word, but almost as God kidnapped Enoch. Now, normally, you wouldn't want to be a kidnapper van pull up beside you, and they have their candy and, and try to chloroform, knock you out, and drag you away. And you think, I don't want to go that way. But when you start thinking about the Lord Jesus kidnapping you, you're like, yes, all day long, please. Take me, Lord. Take me. It just gives you a different uh, a way to your mind to grab that and say, wait a minute. It's not by might. It's not by my power, but it's by his spirit. It's by his promise. It's by him keeping his word. He said, you've seen what I did. You saw what I did and how I bear you and I brought you unto myself. Can you see that is a love story to his wife right there? Not brought you here. Come to this messenger. Come to this messenger. The Eliezer of our day, that man right there on the left, the Eliezer of our day, William Branham, the seventh angel prophet, brought you to Christ. He never led no one to William Branham. He led you to Christ, the husband, your husbandman. That's who he led you to. Never once said, I make my own church, I make this. He said, him, that's the one you want. He led you as Eliezer. Now, in that type, because we just quoted this to you from Abram's promise to Abraham's promise to Isaac to Jacob, and now we're here with Moses, and you can look back upon that time, and in that amount of time, you have the, the marriage covenant that was done between Isaac and Rebekah. Now, and it come to Isaac and Rebekah, I don't remember the exact scripture, Abraham told Eliezer, his servant. Now, this is the one that Abraham wanted to be the heir because he didn't have any kids. He asked God. He said, I don't have any kids of my own. Can this man who was born in my household, can he be my heir? That's how much Abraham had a respect and had that, had, that, he, that he liked Eliezer. It wasn't just any, many, my, no. He's like, no, that's a good man right there. So he sent, as he was an old man, Eliezer back to his homeland to get a wife for his son, Isaac. And he told him, don't you get no wife for any of these Canaanites, any of these women here. Don't you get a wife for my son from any of these women here. You go back and you get them from my seed, from my family, from that line. You go back to that line. And he asked him, Eliezer asked him, he said, what if I find her? And what if she won't come? What if when I find her, she won't come? Will I have to come get Isaac and bring Isaac to her? And Abraham made him swear. Abraham said, you give me your right hand, he, right hand or left hand, and put it under his thigh. He made him swear, you will not take my son there. That's a pretty harsh conversation. Okay, Wow. I've never been there. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know these people you're talking about, but i got to go find them. I guess it's needle in the haystack kind of thing. Go find a wife for your son Isaac, and I can't take Isaac to meet her, so it's got to be kind of a love at first sight kind of thing. So i got to go over and do that. So he's praying all the way. The prophet, if you listen to the message, there's two in 1959. I can't remember if it's in April or, or June when he says this in the message of the time of decision. But he said that when Eliezer is praying about this wife for Isaac, he's praying and he's praying, God, he said, I got to find him a good wife. I can't bring back some, some, this woman that has no morals, that doesn't, she won't stay home. She'll do anything the world does. She'll always be attracted by anything shiny. He wants to find a woman of character that King Ahasuerus later describes in Proverbs 31. He said, that's what I'm looking for. That kind of woman that even though she's faulty and makes mistakes, she still loves the Lord and still lives for the Lord. And he goes there, and the prophet said to Eliezer, and you read that, he makes that prayer. And he says, God, I need your help. And the prophet would say it like this. He said, I believe the Holy Ghost went ahead of him 
by about the space of half an hour. And the Holy Ghost went ahead of Eliezer by about the space of half an hour. This was said in 1959. This is a prophet saying this. I believe the Holy Ghost went ahead of Eliezer about the space of half an hour. So when Eliezer gets there, he has his camels. He's made his prayer to the Lord. Rebecca comes out. She's already on her road. She's already walking. She's already headed right out there. She might not have normally gotten water that time of the day, but it's time up. It's time to go. Where are you going? I'm, I'm going to the well. What for? Don't really know yet, but I'm going. Because the sons and daughters are going to be led by the Spirit of God. Led by the Spirit of God. So she gets out there and sees this man. Can I get you a drink of water? Why, thank you so much. And while you're drinking, I'm going to walk down to the pit and carry him back up enough to feed every one of your camels. To water every one of your camels. That wasn't just like, let me go to the faucet, the faucet and give you a drink. Okay, now we'll get a hose and we'll just... No, she packed those big baskets or, or barrels of water up to feed his, to water his camels. It wasn't a lazy person. She did this as, a, as unto the Lord. Everything she did was unto the Lord. I, I don't know what this purpose is. And you understand that she actually watered the camels that brought her to her husband. That's not for nothing. That's not for nothing. You know, your amen is watering the word. It's watering that camel. Your amen, you're agreeing and accepting. So I believe that. That's true. Amen. I believe that. That's a watering of the word. That's nothing but the truth. So you have that, 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 that God did that for him, that God went ahead of him and made a way and worked on her heart. And he brought her back, and she's coming back on the camel ride, and she sees Isaac step out of the tent, and he asked her, who's that? He said, that's my master. That's my master, that's Isaac. And she lights off the camel and runs to him, and they were together. Together with him. You hold that same kind of promise. Do you understand that this morning? He said, now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. All of the earth is mine. Now, we've shared this a lot with you, that the earth, when he talks about heaven's earth will pass away, that being not necessarily the cosmos as far as the definition, but the, the, not the structure of the planet, but everything on the planet will be burned off. It'll all be burned off. But he owns every fiber, every molecule of all dirt. Whether it be on this planet, whether it be in your body, whether it be in space dust, he owns it all. He said it's all his. Every bit of it's his. And all of the Lord's property will work toward the will and purpose of the Lord, whether good or bad. And I'll remind you again, Satan's nothing but a tool in the hand of the Lord. He's nothing but a tool in the hand of the Lord. Again, this changes how you fight and it changes how you ask. Well, Satan did this to me. Satan did this to me. There was a, the prophet talked about being sealed away, being sealed away by the Holy Ghost. And you, you won't get into heaven without the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You will not because that baptism of the Holy Ghost is eternal life. It is absolutely eternal life. It's not given through a shake of a preacher's hand. Put your name on the book. It is the baptism with fire. Now, what that does to you, it, it puts you in another realm. It puts you set for a rapture. It puts you quickened to an array. And the only way that comes is upon a seed of his. The only way it comes. It will help you overcome everything that comes your way every test, every struggle, every trial. And you will always believe the word with it. There will not be one thing about you say, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's right. The proof of the Holy Ghost is accepting the revealed word of your day. 
It's not speaking in tongues. It's not jumping and shouting. It's all those things. It's accepting the revealed word for your day. This is not talking about accepting the revealed word for Paul's day or for uh, uh, Smyrna or Sardis. Any of those days, it's for your day. For your day. Keep all that in mind. That you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all of the earth is mine. All of the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me, you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. These are the words. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people, laid before their faces all these words which the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together, together, all of them answered together. You can, New Testament verbiage would say, one heart, one accord. One heart. They all answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. That's, uh, that's Exodus 4 that he's telling them. I don't think they're going to believe me. I, I don't think the children of Israel are going to believe me when I come back and tell them. Who shall I say and God give him those tests, those three pulls of his own? He said that it's going to be this, that they may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. Now, if you turn over to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. And then we'll jump back if we've got time to chapter 28. Exodus 34, verse 9. Four verse nine, and he said, "If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us." You hear what he's asking, Lord? If I found grace in your sight, I pray that you will go among us. You'll go among us. That's my prayer this morning. That the Holy Ghost will move from heart to heart to heart to heart to heart. Not just stop here, not just stop there, but move throughout this entire room. There'd not be one person that would stop him. I said earlier, you can stop him, but there not one person would stop him. But you would say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Not one, not one person stop him. And he said, if I now found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us. For it's a stiff-necked people. Pardon our iniquity and our sin. Take us for thine inheritance. And he said, behold, I make a covenant before all thy people. I'll do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord. For it's a terrible thing that I will do with thee. Terrible thing. That's not due to thee. He didn't say it's a terrible, I'm going to be very terrible to you. I, I read there out of Lamentations and showed what the backslider and what the iniquity brought them and what had to be done to them so that they might be removed and you put in, that you might have a chance. But he's telling you that, that if you walk in this way, you observe all that I command you to do. He said, I will do marvels such as not been done in all the earth. In, in Daniel chapter 11, uh, 28, 29 of that area, that he, he says that those that do know their Lord will do great exploits. Those that do know their Lord will do great exploits. No shout. No thank the Lord. No nothing. I don't know what you think about great exploits, but again, I live in a body that breaks down all the time. 
I, I have chest. I have struggles. I have a fight. I have the same enemy that you fight. He comes at me on a daily basis. If you think that he only fights you, then you're sorely mistaken. He swings at me sometimes with everything he's got, with what it feels like everything he's got. I'm in the same fight you are. I need some exploits in my life. Amen. I, I need the Holy Spirit moving in my life. And the Holy Spirit quickens that word to a faith that I can believe it and use it to defend not just myself, not just my family, but this church. Let that set in this morning. Amen. Great marvels. Well, no, it's just we'll suffer till we rapture. No, you're not reading the same book I'm reading. You're not reading the same book I'm reading. He said, I, there's that I again. That I, you always keep coming back to that I. I will do marvels. He will defend you. Psalms 34 said he goes before you. He's a defender behind you. In Joel 2, it talks about that, that there's a fire that just consumes in Daniel 7, that flame that goes before his throne, it consumes everywhere you look. It just burns up anything in its path. Well, I just barely made it through. I just barely escaped that. No, you didn't. You're breathing because of the grace of God. Yes. I've said that many times. You're immortal until God's done with you. Your very breath don't belong to you. I share that with you again Wednesday night. That one don't belong to you. That one don't belong to you. That one don't. I do this all day. It don't belong to you. The price. It was bought with a price. So the only reason your heart is beating is to fulfill the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ on this planet, in your flesh. Come on, you hearing me this morning? It's to do His will right now. Not next year, not when I surrender my life then, or, or God, if you beat me up so bad, or, or you let me survive, and eventually, and eventually, and eventually, and eventually, and eventually, and eventually, finally I start to trust you. Right now! Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Great marvels. He said, Observe thou that that which I command thee this day, behold, I drive out before thee the Amorite. The, here we are again. The Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite. Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whither thou goest, lest it be a snare, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. That sounds like a sin that doth easily beset you. You get caught up by the things of this world that got your attention and it took your eye off of where you're supposed to be looking. You're looking at the things around you. Take heed. Don't do that. Only look at him. Only look at him. But here's what he said. And here you are right now, all these years later, we still have the same struggles. He said, you shall destroy their altars. You shall destroy their altars. You'll break their images. You'll cut down their groves. Now, as you come through the, the book of the Kings and in the Chronicles, it talks about how bad the certain kings were. This man was bad. He tried to do good, then he fell down bad. And this other guy actually lived for the Lord, but he would never tear down the groves of the prophets of Baal. He would never tear down the altars of Baal. He would leave them there. He would live for the Lord. He would do what he could in his own Lord, in his own flesh, but he wouldn't step out there and say, tear that nonsense down. That's to Satan, that's not to God. And he said, you built it in the house of the living God. You deserve what he said. This said, you will tear it down. You'll destroy their altars. Their altars. What is an idol? An idol is anything that you put ahead of the Lord Jesus Christ. An idol is anything you put ahead of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, these images, all these things, and break their images, and you, you don't have, uh, well, you do in other, other countries, you have India and places like that, they have little statues, little trinkets, and uh, I've talked about a, being there in Africa, driving down the road, and there was a man, I think it was in Africa, not India, might have been India, it might have been India, that, that had, a, uh, that had a, uh, these, uh, these little statues, he was packing them everywhere he went, and he asked the guy he was with, he said, is that guy an idol worshiper? He said, well, he might be both, might claim to be a Christian and an idol worshiper. He's like, how can that be? He pulled over and talked to him, and the guy said, oh, I'm a Christian, I believe in Christian, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, why do you have those? He said, well, my dad was woods and this lion was stalking him and and he had prayed to this one particular whatever and he built a fire and that lion left him so they you know that thing's got some kind of power and he's like that thing has no power that thing has no power you built a fire and it scared the lion and and run the lion off but now your whole family has put all this faith in in something that's made by stone or made by wood that is not alive our god is a living god our god is a protector and a defender over any lion anything that comes your way so you have that as far as that thing and we think well you know graven images we don't have that but you have your cell phone and it used to be you had your tvs it was bad to have a tv well, you, you know what your TV does. You, know, you, you start to have all these programs come on back at Wednesday night, keep people out of the house of the Lord. Now you have them on Sundays, and now you have the people that they'll have football games, all these things on a Sunday, or baseball, or basketball, or whatever the games. They'll have them on Sunday, and people have to rush out or skip church to get home to watch those. What means more? You see pretty quickly where that priority is in their lives. Now, your, your image that they're worshiping an idol, anything you make that's an idol, anything that you set between you and God, you have your priority. He's called you a peculiar treasure, and you take and you move him out of the way, and you put that idol in your way. Now, Satan uh, had the TV, had plenty of success for years with the TV, and the people that he didn't get with the TV, then he'd come out with this thing right here. And if he couldn't get you the TV, now all day long you're doing this. Well, you're reading Bible quotes and listening to the message on your phone, right? I don't know the last time I opened that Bible app or the message table. Or He got you. This is your attack. This is where the devil's coming at you. This 4,000 years ago, but you still fight the same enemy. You shall destroy their altars. You'll break their images and cut down their groves. Now, I believe in a balance. I'm not saying these things to say go out and bust your phones, bust your TVs, bust those things. I'm saying that you've got to be strong enough to overcome them. And if you cannot overcome them, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Maybe your phone's too smart. Maybe you need a dumb one. Yeah, seriously. Because that thing will mess you up so fast. It'll mess a man or a woman up so fast. It'll pull you away from God. It'll pull you away from the ones around you and love you. It'll ruin your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Guarantee it. I can tell you a thousand testimonies. People that have struggled with that. You, you've got to have a balance. You've got to have a balance. You shall destroy their altars, break their images, cut down their groves. For if thou shalt worship, for thou shalt worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous. I don't know if you're going to like where this is going. His name is Jealous. And he is a jealous God. Well, no, I can do what I want. I can say what I want. I can look at what I want. I can read what I want. I can, eh, you fill in the gap. No, he's a jealous God. I don't. Everything we are is bought by Him. Amen. Everything we are. You know, we talked that a lot about the, the children of Israel being under the, the, the scorn, the, 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 the oppressive thumb of the Egyptians, and how that their lives meant nothing to those Egyptians, to where that if your son or whatever it was didn't work hard enough, didn't do it right, they could either beat him almost to death or kill him, and there was nothing you could do about it. Not one thing. That if they thought your daughter was pretty, you fill in the gap. And there was nothing you could do about it. 
And they would say, we're their slaves. We're, we, you know, that's the bad. That's the dark. That's the contrast. Yes. But when it comes to the Lord Jesus, who you're supposed to be a love slave to, well, I can look at anything else and think anything else or say anything else or do anything else. He's not that important. Lord, have mercy. No other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God, lest thou make a covenant, you now, you. He done told you about his covenant with you. Now he's talking about your covenant where it should be with him. Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go a-whoring after their gods. Their gods. And do sacrifice unto their gods. And one call thee. You want to come eat of my sacrifice? Lest thou call thee, and thou shalt eat of his sacrifice. You live next door to him. Come over and do this with me. I'm not doing that. I won't go that. And thou take of their daughters unto thy sons. We talked about this earlier. Thou take of their daughters. This is where God never forgave them for this when they did this. Daughters and go a whoring. They, yeah, they take it, and thou take of their daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters go a whoring after their gods, and make thy sons go a whoring after their gods. Thou shalt make thee no molten gods. The feast of unleavened bread shalt thou keep. Seven days thou shalt eat unleavened bread as I commanded thee in the time of the month Abib. For in the month Abib cometh out from Egypt. Seven days, seven days, seven days. That number is so interesting how it keeps popping up all through the scripture. That's seven. And God's propitiation and God's way of mercy and God's covenant and God's token and God's promise. And God's now, we all sit here as believers of this message. And we understand what God did through those seven church ages. And we can jump back into Revelation chapter 2 and 3 and walk through each angel, each servant, each minister to each age to what was done and fulfilled in those seven days, those seven church ages. You're not seated right now in the seventh church age, the latest in church age. You're meant to be in Revelation 4, caught up higher on eagle's wings. It's put in a certain higher place. Now, this token, this covenant that he put in the sky, and we shared that with you um, here recently. We were talking about that picture in Life magazine, which I want to, I Brother Mitch was telling about a church they built in Africa, that massive church. That above, they have a balcony way up there, and on top of the wall, they were able to paint on the wall the picture of the cloud. I love that. We don't really have no place to put that yet, but we'll figure that out. That cloud, that token, that rainbow, that Life magazine that I told you just had to, just happened to coincidentally have the, and it said, and a high cloud, a ring of mystery on this page. And on this page is a supernatural moon rainbow that was happened to be photographed in Hawaii, I think the same year. And if you hang them up to the cloud, the light up to this right here, you can see the rainbow over his head. Coincidence. All coincidence. We agree, right? So the rainbow. The thing about the rainbow, God made this token and made this promise. And we're running out of time and we don't have time to jump into Revelation chapter 5 but, but, or Exodus 2, not Exodus 2, but Ezekiel 1 and 2 and come to that. But, but that rainbow, that seven colors, you know, a rainbow is made out of seven colors. Seven colors. And everything is branched off of that. You realize that it's seven colors and not eight. You realize that you only see half of it. Now, in, in the pyramid that Enoch built, and we show that recently, that if you were to, a surveyor was to look down one corner of, the, of that pyramid, you won't see a perfect straight line. We share that with you too. Everybody remembers that, me saying that. And in fact, it concaves in 36 inches over the span from one to the other, which is three. is a very particular thing in God's number as well. It goes in 36 inches in a bow 
That bowl represents half the rotundity of the earth. That bowl in that Bible of sand is also a type of the Ark of the Covenant of the rainbow that God gave Noah just a few years later. That same bowl, and the reason you only see half of it is because the half has yet been told. Isn't it beautiful? And you get into Revelations 5, which we'll try here the next time we preach, but what God has done, when you look at Him and you see Him on the throne, you don't just see those seven colors. You see everything. Because God is fullness. God is fully manifested. He's not just saying, well, I see one color. I see this color. This color was always described as an amber light. Ezekiel said, I saw an amber light. That was an amber light. And you find him in Revelation that he said, I was as a, I don't get it mixed up, a sardis, a sardis stone and as a jasper stone. Okay, let's go back to the children of Israel. Each child when they're born is given a color for the month they're born in. Your color is born this month and this month, this month. Guess what Reuben was born under? Sardis stone. Guess what month Benjamin was born under? The jasper stone. The first and the last. The beginning and the end. Everywhere you look. And it's just a type of your day. See, all of those are the four and 24 elders and the four beasts. And again, Ezekiel will give you a real good description of those four beasts and which way they walk. I was trying to look during song service earlier. I would read something this morning, and I was trying to go back in the way they walk, how particular, how straight they walk. You know, it, it's so descriptive that they're not like this. They're not like you and me. You know, they're just all over the place, here and there. No, they're just perfect. That way that most won't find, a highway that many will not find, will walk it perfectly. Let's all stand on our feet this morning. God has so much in store for us. And you, you'll find it everywhere you look. I, I was just going looking for something last night, and I fell in the book of Lamentations by accident, if you want to say that. And I'm looking for a certain thing and, and, and studying in a certain thing, and he brought that out there in Lamentations chapter 2. And I'm looking at it and looking at it. Like, Lord, I, I know I'm missing 95,000% of that, but i got to see just a little part of it. And where redemption was set there for punishment, what they've done wrong, he has restored in this day in its fullness to what we have access to. Let's sing that song again, so I'm casting all my cares on you. Can you trust him this morning? Amen. Do you mean that? Yes. That no matter what happens right now, no matter what has happened, we look at our life as a, as a, a, a gauged experiment. You look at it as a gauge experiment. Well, I know that when I did this, this happened. When I did this, that happened. When somebody told me that this would happen, this would happen. But you're supposed to take through the mirror of the Word. You're supposed to take it the promise of the Word. And this promise, like I said to you, is yea and amen. It's not, well, maybe today, not tomorrow. Maybe next week, not today. No, it's right now. It's exactly right now. It's not the Lord will. He'll quicken me and set me in heavenly places in years to come. You are right now quickened. You know what that quickened heavenly place is? The Ram said that is the believer's position in Christ. Amen. That seated in heavenly places is your position in Christ. Where am I seated at in Christ? Where is my position? Where am I supposed to be? In Christ. Heavenly places. No, I'm just me. No, you ain't never been just you. You've always was picked out, chosen, elected. Praise the Lord. Amen. Do you love him this morning? Yes. Yes, amen. I'm casting all my cares on you. Oh, I know you love me. Oh, redemption, my love. Oh, that's the greatest love story.
precious, wonderful Lord Jesus. I want to again say thank you, Lord, for all the promises you have in store for us. Lord, it is a fact that the half has yet been told. What is lays in store and what's available to your wife right now. Lord, let us come out of this world. Let us forsake this world. Let us get out of this dimension, Lord, and, and, and spend all that we are, Lord, drawing nearer to thee. Lord, for in you is life. There is no darkness. Lord, we love you so much today. I pray that you'll take these words, Lord, and I know it's all over the place and chopped up, but God, please quicken it to our hearts. Lord, bring each point back to our hearts, Lord, and, and just pull it in tight as a bowl, Lord, for your people to see it and be able to place that into their stature of a perfect man and, and walk on with you, Lord. Lord, inspire our faith, encourage us, strengthen us, touch our bodies, Lord. Help us as we go our separate ways. We love you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. How great you are. We appreciate all that you do, Lord. Lord, the request that was turned in this morning, for those that aren't here, Lord, I pray you'd be with them, that you minister those needs and help them, Lord. And we give you all the glory and the honor and praise. Thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for predestinating us, electing us, choosing us before the foundation of the world, Lord. Help our lives become subject to your will and to your way. And we give you all the glory and honor and praise in your lovely name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing that song. It was a great thing. It was a great thing. Oh, that he did 